0: Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of School of Startups. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the importance of the human experience, uh, different growth strategies for enterprise clients, and building your marketing budget for your SaaS company. Today, we have our guest, Andy Moura, joining us. Andy is an expert on marketing, business strategy, lead generation, digital transformation, user onboarding, and user experience. He's a marketer, he's a founder, he's a speaker and mentor with over 10 years of experience in the SaaS world. Uh, Andy's focus is on the human experience, which we'll talk about, uh, which which is making sure that companies invest the resources in creating a great employee experience to support successful change management that in turn leads to a better enhanced customer experience. Over the past few years, Andy has been directly, both as a founder and head of marketing, and as a mentor for, with over 200 countries, both in North America and Europe, and he's now in charge of the marketing operations at EXB Group, which is an AI machine learning driven natural language processing platform that provides cognitive process automation for the insurance industry. So welcome, Andy. Glad to have you on the show today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, for for those who don't know who you are, would you mind please sharing a brief background about yourself and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, well, funny enough, everything started with my passion for music. Actually, Um, my dream was to become the best music producer ever. (laughs) And I worked a little bit in the sector. Um, And I actually, over time, I I was responsible for promoting new artists, right? So that's where I first got in touch with marketing, advertising and stuff like that. The product was not directly a software solution or an actual product, it was basically uh, people, artists, and their music. And it was really, really good. I really enjoyed that, but as you know, the music industry you know, <laughs> plummeted dramatically. So every month we would see a zero be removed from our budget, right? <laughs> and after while, it was basically impossible to do anything for newcomers and stuff like that because the budget would just like, you know, be enough for printing a couple of flyers in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so it was time for me to change. And at that point in time, I, I met um, a, a friend of mine. Her name is Abigail. She introduced me to this guy. He was the CEO of an advertising agency. And this guy, Peter, super cool guy, he brought me into this world and uh, taught me a lot. And indirectly, I learned a lot about you know copywriting and um, uh, classic advertising and digital marketing. And then, you know, when you have a passion, you get more and more and more and more into it. And then I got my first job in marketing and um, learned more and more and more. I then I, you know, I founded my own company. I worked with a company also in San Francisco. And at the same time, I had other projects, I sold a couple of companies and, you know, and then I was hired as uh, CMO or head of marketing or VP marketing at different companies and that's it. That's It just happened. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> yeah, I'm just... glad <laughs> that it worked like that. <laughs> cool. It yeah,
0: actually, we actually see that a lot from, uh, you know, typically there's a couple of people who go into this role. One are, you know, engineers because they have a lot of that analytical background and, you know, data driven mindset uh, for marketing. And then you also have a lot of the creatives who I've seen come from the music industry, so such as yourself. So that's, that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> um, what's your take on the you know going back to today in the current environment with the, the COVID, you know nineteen? What's your take on the current environment of the SaaS industry, or what have you seen uh, specifically in Europe uh, that's going on?
1: Yeah, obviously a lot of companies are worried for two main reasons, right? On the one hand, we see like uh, VC firms and uh, or other investors they are a lot more cautious when it comes to investing in companies. And on the other hand, we see that like the whole pipeline generation kind of like that, you know, slows down dramatically. First of all, because many companies are on a hiatus, just like temporarily closed or because, for example, events are not an option anymore and many other things that changed over time. And at the same time, larger companies or like potential customers, again, they're also very cautious when it comes to purchasing new software. So we have this kind of like no BS kind of like situation in which everything which is not totally essential um, is not important anymore, right? In the past, Mm -hmm. okay, companies would focus on, okay, um, this software is absolutely vital. So we have to have it and okay. that's. That could be good for, you know, can optimize processes and stuff like that. Now it's not like that anymore. Unless your solution is really essential or unless you frame your solution or you make your like potential customers understand that your solution is vital, Then it's really hard for companies um, Mm. and for SaaS companies. So on the one hand, you have uh, less money (laughs) from investors and more problems acquiring uh, money and or acquiring customers and generating profit. So it's quite problematic. Mm. As mentioned, I figure. I mean, it's. I I think it's a temporary situation, and uh, most of the companies obviously have to find some you know, cost-cutting measures or something like that to bridge this period. But once this whole thing is over, companies that are proving to be effective and efficient, they're going to thrive anyway. So
0: um,
1: it's just a very bad phase, but (laughs) we're going to go through it.
0: Sure, yeah. So they're kind of at a standstill at the moment where, you know, deciding unless you're an absolute essential thing, they're not in the phase of testing out new products or, you know, uh, experimental phase, right? Just... Not yeah. really. Survi- survival mode. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Correct.
1: Because all the budgets are reduced, and especially software, right? You keep reading articles about CIOs in large corporations like really limiting the amount of software solutions they invest in.
0: Yeah. So you've worked with different, you know, uh, size businesses, right? You've raised capital, I assume. You've worked with funded companies. You've worked with founding your own companies. Um, how do you advise SaaS companies? to grow and how do they manage their their marketing when you're comparing those two scenarios where you're pre-investment, let's call it your early stage, you don't have outsourced capital and you're trying to be lean versus now you have post-investment, you've got capital, you can grow and what does that marketing strategy look like differently between those two stages?
1: Yeah, obviously at the beginning it's all about being smart, right? You don't have the funds uh, to test different, uh, you know. Uh, hypothesis and stuff like that so you really have to be smart and go for your low hanging fruits usually pre-marketing like pre-funding uh marketing is all about you know brand awareness and uh and you know low hanging fruits in terms of like Check your network. Uh, talk to the connections of your connections. Try to find people who are willing to support you. In terms of like you have to generate these kind of champions willing to do something for you. <clears throat> in the meantime, that you actually have uh, capital to grow uh, more or less organically, and then of course invest a lot in your um, online presence, SEO, especially at the beginning. So do anything you can to just be found, because you 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 probably won't have the resources for example, for proper outbound campaigns, and you won't have resources for a proper content marketing campaign or inbound campaign because that takes time, right? You have first, you need to, you know, create brand awareness and uh, generate attention and traffic and interest, it takes time. So uh, yes, you have to build that, but at the same time you need to find quick ways to generate uh um attention and usually yeah um events speaking gigs um you know guest posts write a lot that's always my Mm -hmm. tip because Mm -hmm. if you write a lot then people will notice you and maybe invite you to events and through events you know you have this kind of face-to-face communication which is super powerful so it's it's mostly like really invest a lot in your personal brand and personal brand of your co-founders and people in marketing and uh, leverage this kind of traction at the beginning because you don't have funds for proper advertising or but at the same time I always compare that it's funny because you have to imagine you have nowhere to live right yeah and you have to build two things at the same time you need uh, little about something like a little place where you can actually live but in the meantime that you build your mansion so your mansion is your future marketing strategy and you have right. to start at some point because you you can't just say oh, yeah inbound it takes time so we'll do it later because then you postpone again right it's mm-hmm. like the same thing with compound interests If you say ah oh, no i don't invest now because i'm 25 yeah but you're losing all your you know interest and the same with uh, inbound marketing, a lot of companies say, yeah, we don't invest in content marketing because the first one or two years, it doesn't yield any proper like return on investment. True. Might be true. Depends how you do it. But at the same time, you have to start at some point because right. then it's too late. So you have to build your little place <laughs> where you can survive and you know, you, you don't want to be out in the rain. So you want to be covered. Yeah but and that's your temporary strategy at the same time already you know um create the foundations for your management which is your long-term strategy so you have to do two things at the same time so that's why it takes it's 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 a very uh strange pro- process at the beginning for every startup and sure it's, uh, but it's critical exactly and once you have the funds then it's not anymore about okay uh, you know being super smart with the um, resources you have, or investing more time. So basically, money only buys your time, right? Mm. You can achieve the same results. If you have money or not, there okay. are plenty of examples in the SaaS industry. If you really solve a problem, very important problem, or your target group, and you know exactly how to explain that and how to make it important, relevant, it doesn't really matter whether or not you have money. But money obviously buys you time, right? You can mm-hmm. set up fancy automation, you can have more resources for advertising, you reach out to more people. But that's the same, you know, you can do the same, even without money, before you're funding investment, because you can create your own bots, right? There are solutions like, phantom buster or stuff like that very cheap solutions you can create uh, automation in many different areas or you can use uh you know zapier to create uh connections and uh automate Careful not to go crazy and spread yourself too thin because you say, okay, now I have money. I can do everything I do social media here. I do YouTube campaigns and uh, branding videos. No, you always have to be You know to focus on what works and uh, invest money so that your cost per leads and your return investment is pretty much constant. And makes. that's also what investors want to see, obviously. Predictability, right? So you exactly. invest more money. Um, so money buys you speed, that's mm, it. Makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And let's look at from, uh, you know, there's two different founders I usually find who we encounter. You have the, the SaaS companies who are very focused on lead generation, inbound, quick kind of sale and you know focus on the sales and marketing maybe less on the product and then you have those product led companies right and that's how they drive their growth at least into a certain stage what strategies do you suggest for saas companies that are you know focused on that side so let's look at those two kind of polar opposites there
1: yeah it all depends on your target group right and some in some specific industries and for certain company sizes, um, we might still as well, you know, we might be still like pretty much sales driven, right? Especially if we go to enterprise, um, you know, uh, B2B companies that target enterprise uh, companies and stuff like that, Um, or marketing driven uh, for um, companies also that uh, in, in B2B and stuff like that. Product-led uh, works really well if your product is um, so. If you create internal champions, what do I mean by that? Um, we all know there are decision makers in companies, right? But if your champions push for a specific solution, decision makers are likely to, you know, favor your solution. Mm. So look at Slack, for example. It's like it's something that pretty much grows internally. People want to use it, so they push for it, so obviously decision makers go for it. So uh, in that case, it works if your end user is also your champion. Mm. So in some areas, it can work. For example, complicated ERP or CRM solutions that are used by a limited group of people and are extremely complicated can't have that kind of like uh, product-led growth because the people who use it are usually not the, the champions you want to have in a company. It might happen, especially in small. Um, so if you target st- uh, startups or smaller yeah. companies, look at Pipedrive, right? So sometimes uh, you can have like, uh, like to say demand internally, um, but that is usually the case for simpler solutions. Mm which are very easy and uh, to understand and use so that people can have direct access to it. So they go right into it, like, look at Monday, right? <laughs> just enter your email, start playing around. Obviously you'll fall in love because the whole interface is so beautiful and right. everything works so well. So obviously then you will talk to your head of department or something like that and say, hey, look what I found. It's very practical, already created a dashboard just to test. And it works really well, right?
0: Mm. You so know. this could this could be like a Salesforce, right? You're working on Salesforce, and you just like how realize how complicated and complex it is, and you're like, I'm gonna go try PipeDrive, and then you figure out a solution. You're like, Hey, look, uh, we can do this for you know half the price, and and you know super simple, and, and then you go out and show it to to your your, your boss
1: and say, Hey, can right. we can we try this? Okay. Yeah, Salesforce grew pretty much like it turned into pretty much a uh, enterprise solution, right? So it's uh, because of the features they offer. It's a natural growth, right? That mm. <laughs> had so many years, the same like Zandesk, right? It's funny, Zandex didn't have a sales rep until they hit 10,000 customers, right? Wow. <laughs> so it was completely like, uh, easy should just try it, use it. And people loved it. Mm. And then when it became more complicated, now they offer so many different uh, mm. modules and, you know, solutions and products. <clears throat> now it's a different story, obviously.
0: <laughs> Got, it. Got it. So depending on the complexity of your, your, your product, okay. Makes sense. And then you talk about, we talked a little bit about the, the human experience. I know you're a big uh, you know, avid fan of that. What is, why is that human experience or user experience important? Uh, and what are some tips or strategies, you know, SaaS founders can follow to improve that or, or start implementing that, that thought into their, their culture?
1: Yeah, when we talk about human experience, we're talking, you know, there are two different areas you need to tackle. On the one hand is employee experience, there are people. And there are people in your company and then customer experience obviously who are the people you address and uh, obviously they are directly related right uh you can't expect your employees to treat your customers nicely if they are not treated well right you you, you can you know your, your employees will be as nice to your customers as you are to them so if you create a great employee experience and if you take care of your people and if you you know, have a, sp- a special, that special climate, you know, that kind of atmosphere of ownership, recognition and cooperation and positivity and so on and so on and trust above all, then your your employees will be more likely to focus on a great employee experience. And, and then you mentioned user experience. Yeah, user experience is a subset of the whole customer experience, right? So mm-hmm. once your customer is an agent in your software solution as they become a user. That's why you know user, employee, customer, just human experience. We we mm. the more digital we become, <laughs> the more important it is to have experiences to to offer meaningful experiences that actually make sense. Right. right. Um, think of B two uh, C brands. They're really good at creating very powerful experiences. Right. Uh, every subscription based model um, or based company in b2c they're really good at establishing a direct relationship with their uh customers and the same should happen in b2b whereas you you need to map the entire customer journey and you need to experience it yourself eat your own dog food right i remember a company i worked at before we had to use our own product, everybody in the company. doesn't matter from finance, accounting, to marketing, uh, assist everybody had to use the product for one month, or okay. two, or something like that, and try to achieve results. If you had a problem, you had to contact support as if you were a customer. And you had to go through the whole support and ticketing system. And we had to write down everything that really annoyed us (laughs) from the software interface, which is something about user experience, to processes, to customer experience in terms of like, uh, support or how to schedule a call with your customer success manager, blah, 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 everything, and you map it. And then, you know, that's your internal testing, but you also need to collect feedback from existing customers out there and map everything on your customer journey map and see everything and try to see where you know small changes can make a big difference right and start from there and start always with two or three initiatives obviously and and quickly improve every step of the customer journey so that you have basically no friction right think of amazon or companies like that right they're really good they remove uh friction they reduce for example a fear of a commitment by saying yeah don't worry you have three pages before you purchase. And once you purchase, don't worry, you can send it back. You see, <clears throat> and to send it back, don't worry, we already have a tag for you, just exactly. take it. They make it so easy, and you have to imagine the same thing should happen to create a great customer experience, also for software companies, right, in sus it's the same thing. Monitor, really map, <laughs> have little emojis, and check where people might experience fear or insecurity, or they have doubts, or they fear commitment, or say, especially in user experience, right? If you say, a lot of people are afraid of making mistakes in software, right, because some some process, they think processes are not reversible. Just make it clear, don't worry, try it, test it, you can always go back, right? (laughs) right? Exactly. Think of Canva, you can do whatever you want, you can always undo, go back, you always save your, your, uh, you know, your your products, (laughs) your uh, drawings and uh, stuff like that. So everything is is there. And if you create that kind of like trust and security, that's how you can really have like a, a smooth customer experience throughout the journey which is what we define as human experience. And it starts with marketing, right? Because yeah. usually the first touch point with a brand is marketing through ads, through content or whatever, right? Look at uh, what you guys are doing with this podcast. That's, that This might be the first touch point with your brand. True. And everything starts with marketing and then moves on to sales and customer success and then support. And you have to make sure you have the same like Um, experience throughout throughout the journey so uh, if your company is um, you know famous for being friendly you need to have a friendly experience throughout the journey Uh, playful the whole experience needs to be playful if you are super um, serious and (laughs) that also has to reflect throughout the whole customer Mm. journey it depends on your brand's identity and consider every touch point like something that you can't erase so, mm. it's it's like an inception, right? It's yeah. a seed you plant,
0: right? And
1: try. So it's we, we, the, what companies need to avoid is you know regretting <laughs> uh, that little touch point they had with a uh, with a potential customer. Makes
0: sense. Yeah, it reminds me very similar. Uh, so when you talk about user experience, it's very similar to like growth experimentation. So for example, when I was talking to you know Amelia at. at, at uh, growth hackers through saying on average you know they look at the data 75% of growth experiments fail and i think that's the idea is like you have to be okay and have that trust and accept the fact that you know you're going to do these user experience tests but they're going to fail most of them will but it's okay that as long as the 25% do pan out and makes it worthwhile and then the other part of that is I was listening to an interview with a I think he's a billionaire in real estate and different things. And what his his key takeaway was focusing on that five percent. And you know a lot of people don't you know so ninety five percent you know it looks good everything's fine. What do you mean it looks it's easy people can sign up they can pay. But when you start really focusing on that little five percent of improvement every day just keep you know micro picking those little things that okay but. You know, it's difficult for me to return this package. I have to, you know, I have to go go to the, the the post office. I have to, you know, pay for the shipping. Versus like, okay, let's just make it as simple as possible. Don't worry about it. Which which you talked about, right? And just those little things, and that's what it is. It's those little things that add up, right?
1: Right, marginal growth. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. I want to talk about the hiring process. So now you're talking about your, your team setting the standard, and they're the foundation of what leads to the user experience. Do you have a process you can share on? Um, how you define and build your marketing team so that they can keep maintaining that that human experience at a high level?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, it all starts with choosing what kind of like specialists you want to have in your team, right? You always have to have this mix of <clears throat> people who are general generalists and more specialists. And it all boils down from collecting data as, as always, right? Data, data, data. So You you just need a track record. You have to look, you know, back and see what worked in the past, right? So in marketing, there are so many things you can do, right? You have account-based marketing, you have outbound activities, you have um, performance marketing, social media marketing, influencer marketing, uh, social, you know, search engine marketing. So there are so many different things and events and so on. So monitor and track every channel to see what works. And then, obviously, at the beginning it's usually there's one person responsible for everything right and then it's your chance to grow by hiring specialists who are better than, than you in a specific uh area so if you see okay oh wow we attract lots of traffic through our content find a great content marketing manager who is 10 times better than you and uh at the same time you see yeah oh, okay organic traffic converts 10 times better than any other kind of traffic well, look for an SEO expert. Even better if you can find a person who is content manager and also good at technical SEO, right? Sure. Um, and so on and so on. Or if you see, yeah, every time we go to events, we come home with hundreds of leads. Well, get the best uh, event manager out there and put them like 24-7 on, you know. And that's the kind of like process you go through to define what people you need. In some cases, it's always worth checking you know, outsourcing, working Mm -hmm. with agencies versus, you know, doing things internally with pros and cons, which is obviously that's clear, right? How much you have control over something plus the time and so on and so on costs. But so if you combine, okay, what activities are really worth investing in, and uh, ROI calculation, outsourcing versus hiring, and then I'm usually a fan of hiring basically, because, uh, you know, once you have your people inside they also grow with you and with your company culture so it always takes less time and effort to manage people internally than agencies right you know that because briefing and stuff like that so it's always better but you know it's always a matter of choice and then the main point is always finding somebody who's really good at something much 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 better than you right so you might leave the team but you have to find somebody who is 10 times better than you and and then you have to make sure, of course, there's alignment in terms of what objectives we want to achieve and that their performance is also always uh, connected to specific indicators so that you make sure, OK, we're going in the right direction.
0: And what are some um, of those uh, important you know, KPIs or metrics you guys use to measure team performance, including measuring human experience? Do you tie it back to that or do you just keep it strictly at this is your metrics that you need to hit?
1: Well, um, you know, human, yeah, well, in a certain way, so I, everything you do in marketing should go back to MRR. So um, everything else is just vanity metrics, right? So if I have, for example, like a content marketing specialist, comes to me and say, hey, we had f- 500 great leads last night for our webinar, right, we had like 500 opt-ins, all great, and you check, yeah, it's a bunch of Gmail accounts, and how many of those are, you know, turning into customers? Well, none. So, failure, right? (laughs) Uh, 500 opt-ins, that's just a vanity metric. So, go three steps lower uh, and check how much time did you invest, in organizing a webinar, for example, how much do you invest uh, in terms of promotion, uh, how many people participated in the events, and of those, how many became trial users, and of those, how many customers. So everything goes down to MRR. So the only, if you want, <laughs> the only um, metric for marketing should be MRR. Mm. And it's impossible to generate MRR if you don't focus on a great human experience, right? So the byproduct of offering a great uh, uh, human experience, this kind of long term relationship with your subscribers. Yeah, don't forget we're in SaaS, right? It's not like in the old world you had like, okay, you come to my uh, car car dealership, you check a car, you like it, you buy it, buy, I'll never see you again. So I can sell you a lemon, I don't care. (laughs) You're away. (laughs) we'll never, we'll never meet, right? Sure. But now we create a relationships, long term relationships, the idea is having the, you know, a long because you know, lead generation is expensive, customer acquisition is expensive. So once we have a customer, we want to have a long term relationship based on trust, and value and support. So it's impossible to generate MRR, if you don't generate a great human experience, because the subscriber is at the center of your product, we are in a, relation, in a continuous re- relationship, month after month. And if for some reason a customer is not happy, they simply unsubscribe, bye bye. And all the money invested in lead gen is gone. So exactly. that's why MRR is the byproduct and is the only thing you can use to measure how effective something is. Obviously then you can break it down, MRR, and then you can check lifetime value and you can check cost per, per lead to define uh, how effective something was. But as a matter of fact, your event manager should always have like figures ready. How much do we invest in in that event? How many leads did we bring home? How many of those leads actually converted? And then we want to have an easy calculation of, you know, cost per lead for events and for social media and influencer marketing and performance marketing. Everything you do should be connected to MRR not always easy why because some marketing activities are not lead gen activities right especially if you're generating thought leadership brand awareness especially at the beginning you invest a lot of money in brand value which is kind of hard to monitor exactly but you can right as soon as you see mentions of your company You know, you see how many mentions you get. You can use tools like brand24, mention.com, whatever you want to use. As soon as you see people talk about you on social media, they write about you in blog posts and they, um, or you have a lot of direct traffic, which is also interesting. Well, depends how you, if you monitor it correctly, let's say. Uh, And then if you have actual direct traffic, these are people like, for example, you would never, Or well, some people would do, but most of the people will never search Apple and Google, right? You know how to get to Apple. Sure. So, and if you see that kind of like behavior, you see it's still return investment because you're you're generating, you know, brand awareness. Right. And altogether, it has to have an effect on MRR. So, period.
0: Yeah, the tough part Um, though there is like you talked about two things. One is like SEO, right? When you're first starting off. Um, like you said, six months to a year before you start seeing that. Um, this podcast, for example, you're building a brand, you're building these relationships. We don't see MRR on this, right? We have, you know, podcast producer, you know, sound engineer, uh, setting up all the equipment, you're investing all this time, um, you know, obviously setting this up, taking your time, invest, so you add all those up, you won't see this until, you know, six months down a year. So how you know you could you know put it back to some kind of metric add all those costs up and say okay at some point but then how do you, you know, especially those longer term ones versus you know ppc or ads or performance um how, how do you kind of set that, that tone do you go back down and say okay views subscribers uh you know engagement shares and then you know based off that let's see if somebody reaches out and uh becomes a lead at some point and then track it at that point
1: yeah it's always about smart goals right and realistic goals if you say okay i'm gonna start a blog today and by uh you know uh end of july in in a month or two months or something like that i want to have a thousand leads a day that come through the blog i'm gonna start laughing right (laughs) not gonna happen (laughs) in two months sure so it's about smart goals like this podcast right sets a blueprint at the beginning of the campaign, and you say, "Okay, we want to test this. We think it's a great, um, you know, solution uh, to generate awareness and interest and stuff like that." So let's define some metrics in terms of MRR and a timeline, and and you say, "Okay, that's you know, that's exactly what we're talking about. The little house you have to buy a build because you don't want to get wet in the rain, but it's at the same time, check your mansion mm-hmm. and and carry out." this as an experiment, but you have to be also honest. And unfortunately, sometimes it's really hard. You know that, right? The more you invest in something, the more difficult it is to stop. <laughs> uh, yes. And and at some points, you have to collect those that we call like micrometrics, as you said, views and uh, number of shares. Um, if you don't see growth already in those micrometrics at the beginning, it's really unlikely that eventually you will also generate, uh, you know, MRR. But if you see constant growth in terms of like, uh, for example, it's a blog, right? Uh, 30 readers, probably at the beginning you will have 30 readers, but then they become 80, 200, 500, 1,000, 10,000 per article. Then if you see that, then, okay, you say, okay, I know we're going in the right direction. Now it's only about, okay, how do we convert this traffic and um because maybe we don't have you know the right tools (laughs) but um yeah definitely you you need to have some indicators at the beginning that you're going in the right direction and in your blueprint always define time that's Mm -hmm. always a parameter to say if nothing you know happens within the next eight to ten months maybe our audience is not a Blog reading audience or not a podcast listening audience, you never know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so, it's all an experience. It's hard
1: sometimes to admit. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
0: And then you know, off of that, how do you how do you set up uh, effective marketing budgets? I think that's super important because you can spend all this money. So I'm going to do blogging. I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to spend a lot of money, but then you know, it doesn't go back to MR. How do, how do you be super effective? And uh yeah, what is the right number? Is it you know five percent, ten percent of your revenue? Is it is it you know eighty percent at the beginning and then you slowly t- you know taper it down? How how do you set it up? I'm I'm curious. Well,
1: as a marketer, I would say eighty percent of your budget should go to marketing.
0: <laughs> sure, yeah.
1: Because we love, love that, right? <laughs> yeah. You know when your CEO comes to you and say, hey uh you're spending a lot of money and you say i'm not spending money i'm creating value right exactly so i'm generating brand value again think of apple how much is the logo worth just the word their brands yeah so of course they invested a lot of money into that brand name and brand equity but still it, it you have a direct return investment so but obviously for SaaS companies it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I mean, brand recognition still has a value, but not when investors decide to um, buy in and stuff like that. So the idea is every, you know, you, you have different stages, right? You have the wide world west stage in SaaS, which means Anybody can be a customer. I don't care. Just come in and you have super high churn because you just want to, you know, generate traction in some way and then you become more and more selective and you get your right customer persona. You understand what customers actually benefit from, you know, your solution or can be super successful. And the more you, you know, at the beginning, you have this growth stage. So obviously it's okay if uh, 15, 20, 25% goes into your marketing activities. And you then again, you have to define how to subdivide that budget. Again, the more data you have, the, the easier it is to see where is the lowest cost per lead. And But it's not only about cost, right? It's about quality, lead quality right Mm -hmm. true maybe you can say hey our instagram campaign generated leads like uh 20 bucks a leads awesome but they're all maybe leads that churn quickly they're not really interested maybe people just willing to experiment or something like that yes it was really cheap and marketing is saying i did my job i created the leads but it that's not the whole story right uh there might be another channel. You say yeah we're now we're spending 80 dollars per lead instead of 20 but look a customer lifetime lifetime value of those leads is two years or something like that. At the beginning, you don't have that kind of data, but you you can see a trend and and you say, okay, more expensive leads, but higher return on investment with lifetime value or cheap leads, but that, you know, will never be a perfect match for our company. Mm. So it's always that kind of like research you have to do and always collecting data, 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 and always trying to connect specifically and I know one of the pain points for marketers obviously is, yeah, but how do I know that, right? Because of course you have aggregate data, you know, 200 leads converted this month uh, through organic search, for example, and uh, 200 through, for example, uh, PPC and 300 there. But it's hard to pinpoint but who exactly. Right. So that's why the biggest investment you can do at the beginning is really investing resources that will allow you to, um, to really connect each campaign to a specific lead. And you can start from proper UTM, you know, um, parameters, Yeah, tracking, you need a tracking code on your website registration mm-hmm. form, you need to not only you know, register the lead, but also see the UTM parameters directly in your CRM, because then you can see where they, they come from. And you can say, okay, all the customers Whoa, look at that 80% of the customers we generated this month, they came from a campaign we ran two months ago on, for example, uh, tick tock, no idea. And, mm-hmm. and, and you, you realize, okay, how effective it is, right? And and then you check and of those, well, almost 60% uh where customers that renewed their con- contract continuously. Mm-hmm. So you, you always go backwards to this kind of investigation. So UTM parameters, of course, and also track those. <laughs> so make sure you have a proper script on your side to monitor that. Or once you grow a little bit, invest in solutions like Dream Data or something like that that allows you really to pinpoint where every customer came from and you can build the customer journey backwards. Right? You can see, okay, they saw an ad on YouTube three months later, but they were retargeted or three weeks later or three days later were retargeted on Facebook, but then they actually did a Google search and it's not Google that created that lead. It's actually the whole journey, right? And so once you identify what journey seems to work best and in terms of leads quantity, but quality also, that's where you double down but last thing (laughs) I I don't want to say too much but there's one one real problem sometimes marketers think "Oh, okay the last touch point was for example Facebook so let me invest everything in Facebook and block everything else and then you realize okay we blocked our uh, Google Display network campaign or our Twitter campaign and the Facebook campaign doesn't work anymore Mm. so That's a mistake that a lot of marketers make, right? As soon as they see, oh my God, I generated so many leads through Facebook this Facebook campaign, let's put $25,000 on top. And then it doesn't work because you stop all the rest. So sometimes campaigns that seem, okay, they don't work, they actually do work indirectly by supporting the campaign that then provides the last touch points. So again, it's experimenting, experimenting, a lot. It's yeah. the same in your uh, WordPress installation. If something goes wrong, what do you do? You start, I don't know, you check all the plugins and you deactivate deactivated each plugin once, right? Yeah, and see, okay, now it's back to normal. So you identify the problem. Same with your campaigns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, try and block your, you know, stop your Twitter campaign. It's okay. If you see that then other campaigns don't perform as well, it means there's some kind of correlation that you cannot even notice. And it's you're breaking the path because it's a multi-touch path. Exactly. So, don't invest in a tool or in a channel. Invest in a path that works, and ignore all those tools and channels that don't lead to any return on investment.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, and that's that is a challenge. What was that tool you mentioned that uh, can track it? Because I can see that, for example, Andy shows up on on uh, our podcast. Somebody's going to go into our YouTube channel. Then they're going to go uh, Google your your company. Um, or they're gonna check out your your LinkedIn page, and then from your LinkedIn, they're gonna go to your website. But what you're gonna see is, you know, social media referral from LinkedIn, and you'll say, "Yeah, I'm gonna go in, into LinkedIn," but really came, you know, dr- indirectly through the podcast, right? Um, what was that Correct. that tool you mentioned? I think that that uh, kind of
1: uh, you can use Dream Data. We Dream Data. Okay. used that that in the past it was quite successful. Cool. Um, or maybe partially can provide that kind of from of information or is like a like uh, Google Analytics on steroids cool. <laughs> but again you still have mostly aggregate data yeah so you can do the same with a combination of uh, you know UTM tracking and analytics or you can have like more granular solutions that actually tag uh, specific people and follow them throughout mm. the whole journey cool not always so, cheap solutions, importantly, but necessary.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. At some point, it's it it makes a difference. So, um, companies that so we talked about, you know, product led versus uh, you know sales led. Now, you know, trial to paid SMB focus, enterprise focus. So two separate you know solutions. We we kind of touched on that. What does this strategy look like for for those two types
1: of SaaS companies? Yeah. Of course, if you target SMBs and startups uh you actually have a real trial to pit conversion right so you depends you can be low touch or high touch in terms of onboarding but no matter what you have that kind of process in which usually the decision maker is one person or maybe two people but they all test your software um and and then they decide internally Mm -hmm. obviously there are one million things you can do to facilitate the process with a great user experience great onboarding experience with checklists with support with um, uh, walkthroughs or something like that something to make the whole you know uh, onboarding faster and you have to you know leads your try users to that aha moment where they actually achieve something and they understand what value they can get from your solution as fast as possible. And then you have to activate those users, right? Um, think of Lead Feeder, for example. Uh, every time you do something in the software, they send you an email and say, hey, congrats, uh, you tested that uh, feature. But you know, you can also do A, B, C, and D, and E mm. uh, with that. Oh, no, I didn't know that. So they activate, they create engagements. They want to in the product as much as possible. And uh, you know, lots of solutions like that um, out there. Uh, Gusto have great um, onboarding emails and stuff like that. So very good examples out there of the the whole onboarding and trial period experience. In some cases, you have like a lead qualification. You will see like, for example, lots of SaaS companies, they also ask you to fill out your company profile, not only because they customize the experience, but they also pre-qualify you. As soon as you say, yeah, we are three hundred to five hundred people in our company and we're based here and there, we do this and that. They say, okay, that's exactly the perfect the idea customer profile. So immediately there's automation in place that sends you, you know, you receive an email and say, you have already a dedicated customer success manager. Well I'm a trial user. Doesn't matter. Because it's worth investing, right? Mm. So you can't do that for every single trial user. Imagine if you have thousands of trials in parallel, you can't have one dedicated person for every trial user or for a hundred accounts or something like that, still too much because you also have your existing customers. So what they do is they select some people and they obviously make sure that the whole trial to paid is as successful as possible. And you know, if you monitor what's going on in your product, in your product, um, you know, uh, how many times people return back, how much time they spend, how many onboarding tasks they completed, how many features or key features uh, people have used. If you monitor, again, uh, data-driven, 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 if you monitor everything, then you, and you have like this kind of, classic traffic light system in your customer success management uh solution you know what customers are dormant needs to uh, need to be activated what customers are super active and what customers are potentially key accounts and then you have different processes and uh strategies you need your playbooks you need your you know uh all your uh tactics that's more like smb uh, and uh, startups. Right. If you target enterprise customers, you're not gonna have thousand uh, trials a month because there are not even thousand companies out there. Sure. Yeah, there, there are 2000 larger enterprise companies in North America, right? So uh, you're not gonna have them all in a month. So every customer is, you know, super high touch board. And in that case, you don't have a decision maker, you have a decision making unit, which is usually, Made of eight to ten to twelve people in different departments, from finance to legal departments to you know uh, even the union sometimes wants to see what kind of software are installing. Are you monitoring my employees? You know everything is you know you have so many different people and stakeholders involved in the decision-making process. You can't you can't have them all within your software and on onboard them to show because they are not going to be the end users anyway. They don't sure. care. Yeah. So the whole thing usually turns into a POC, a proof of concept in which you are given, usually assigned a specific task, Mm -hmm. and usually they test in an RFP or some way that might even test different solutions, right? So uh, you're competing against, and especially it's true for for example in in our sector, in uh, natural language processing and artificial intelligence, what large corporations do, they usually actually give you a task. It's really a a challenge. They say, we assign you this task and we expect 93% accuracy. If you comply, you go on to the next stage. It's like wow. uh, American wow. Idol, right? Okay. <laughs> and, okay. and it's pretty cool. And uh, and then, yeah, your product has to be, you know, you have to convince with your product and you have to carry out the whole, you know, proof of concepts with your solution architects and with people who actually manage the whole implementation, something like that. Having said that, I know that sounds pretty much like 2010, because it, what we've seen of like past 10 years is, you know, uh, migration to the cloud and stuff like that. We noticed there's a little bit of decentralization right now. Mm. So what happens is in the past, you always had like IT services in a large corporation, they would be responsible, like there would be the gates deciding what, you know, software comes in or not. Right now head of departments are given a lot more authority. And mm. so this switch, this change is kind of positive. So again, it's like a micro SMB within your company. So right. again, if you sell a CRM solution, your sales department becomes a little bit like an SMB within the company, you can kind of address as if it was an SMB. So you kind of have the, the chance to provide a try to paid classic conversion journey, maybe a lot more high-touch, right, with support and everything, but still. So right now it's that phase in which we still see a lot more of the old, you know, sales cycle in enterprise companies, Yeah. but, but we also witness some change, which is positive change. Again, at the end, though, you still have to comply with, you know, uh, legal uh, and regulatory problems, so you will still have to go through a whole procurement process, and in some industries it's, you know, it's hell, (laughs) for example, automotive and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, They are known for, but once you break that barrier, you're listed, right? And if you're listed as one of the providers, then all the other departments, can actually uh, acquire your solution and yeah. or subsidiaries in different parts of the world. And then you can sit back and relax because, you know, once it's, of course, it's a lot of work, <laughs> you get into GE or something like that. Oh my God, so much work. But then suddenly pop, pop, pop you know, you pop up in different areas, different sectors, different um, use cases. And it's, you know, this kind of landing expand kind of like strategy. It pays off again in the long run. At the beginning, it's just hell. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I want to touch base a little bit more on the enterprise side. Yeah, I remember when I was, I think, in Barcelona um, and we were talking with, a, you know, enterprise startup at the time. Um, there was you talk. We were talking to the innovation department there, right? And that's what they said, right? It's like, okay, like you have a chance to build this. You know, we want to do a proof of concept with our small department, very small test. But if you guys do well, like. We're going to open the doors for you for the rest of this, and then then you're good. But you have to make sure that that first kind of test, and you guys are prepared for that. So I think that's super Don't important. fail. <laughs> Don't fail. Yeah. Make sure Lots you know. Lots of pressure. You're yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, on, on enterprise, so I think you know a lot of that. There is the inbound side, but I think you know you have to focus a lot more outbound, high touch, uh, building relationships. Um, you know, what is the typical sales cycle you guys are seeing, and you know Europe or wherever you've kind of worked. And what are some ways you can try to shorten that? Because we understand enterprise sales is long. It takes a while for decision makers and all those people to finally write the check. Um, Yeah, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, well, the the problem is, as you mentioned, is always in the decision making unit, right? Sometimes I've seen that also in the past. You go as far as getting to the C-level, everybody approved everything, and then the C-level blocks the whole project. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes the other way around. The C-level is super convinced that they want to work with you and then you go back and you go down two or three levels and then they say "Ah, oh, yeah We have this regulatory problem. So but we're not willing to solve that now So you know what we don't want to invest energy and time. So the one Yeah, you know, so <laughs> the main problem with enterprise companies. Yeah in terms of lead generation, obviously um, It's it's all about ABM right now. So account based marketing. So really take your people And and imagine these people are like uh, key account managers, but before people are actually customers and they only work for their 10 to 20, assigned 10 to 20 dream accounts, right? And make sure they have all the tools, which means assets and opportunities to generate multiple touch points uh with a customer right okay. in terms of support uh events uh webinars papers whatever you want it really depends how you create your journey but to make sure that you provide value before they even are customers and also trust mm-hmm. and and every person you in in account-based marketing should be really focusing only on those companies follow them on, you know events and Talk to them in different situations. Make sure they see your content. This, you know, programmatic sales can, you know, uh, display campaigns. Everything, to make sure you you flirt with them. <laughs> <Right>? Okay, sure. <laughs> it's it's basically flirting. And once you're in, finally you have your first uh, talk. Well, the idea is try to identify beforehand your decision making units. But how? Oh, that's a mistake. I've seen it so often. Salespeople, the first thing they do on the phone is say, okay, who do you think we should involve to make things move fast, right? Well, the person you're talking to, they don't know it because they never usually, you know, people usually don't purchase software like in startups, right? In every startup, you know that, right? So you have 80 software solutions for every department and usually the head of the department just, okay, I want to test this and try this. So there's an internal process. Mm -hmm. Enterprise companies, purchase new software every blue moon, right? So once every blue moon, so it's not like a process they are familiar with. So you can't have somebody on the phone and say, oh, who do I need to involve to move on to the next step? They don't know. So you have to do the research, do your job, check what other companies did and offer some solutions and tell them, look, According to my experience, I saw in the past, we also had to talk to the head of finance, this person, this person, uh, the process owner, and the head of the, and what do you think? Can we involve them? Oh, sure. In that case, if you offer the solution, it's much easier. Mm. People are not gonna work for you. They don't care, right? Why should I invest (laughs) my time in making your life easier? I'm not earning anything. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So do your job. Don't expect people to do the job for you, so you do. Your research and already involve the people you think will need to be at the table once you actually organize a meeting, because you don't want to organize 12 meetings, especially in areas like in Europe, where you have like, uh, especially uh, imagine in Germany you have 23 days of like um, you know public holidays a year, 23, plus people have 30 days of paid vacation a year, so. If you start having 12 meetings with people and trying to find when they are at work and everybody, so I've experienced that in the past, it might take two years just to have all the meetings. I'm not joking. It happened to me with a supermarket here in Germany, we were selling a specific solution. It took over two years just to talk to all the people involved in the decision-making process because it was impossible to find them. So (laughs) the idea is, bring everybody together as soon as you can and you decide who should be there and then they might also have other people in mind and so this kind of cooperation that shortens the sales cycle dramatically because then you don't need to repeat things 10 times and then have product documentation everything F- try to foresee what they might want to have right obviously they want to have everything about your certification and security standards and they want to see everything about apis and everything you do right they're very careful where they put you know mm. in their system uh, security data blindness all everything should be already there because they shouldn't chase you and say ah oh, we need this we need that provide everything mm. in, in a digestible form and if there are things that are recurring, so if you notice every time we have a, you know, conversation with a customer, they always come up with a question. Yeah, but what integrations do you offer? And you don't have any material inform marketing, right? And then marketing will create uh, the proper material to also present integrations because it's necessary. Sure. So you shorten the time if you are... you do your your homework (laughs) be prepared imagine what objections they might have proactively address objections in your uh documentation and content educate them even before you meet with them Mm. have videos simple you have no idea simple loom videos they work magic just you you are a, a sale, right. You, you, you know, you are a solution marketer. You are a, a business development uh, manager. You know how to talk to your people, mm-hmm. and and do that. Like film yourself, uh, show some slides, or show your product. Explain things before the meeting, so that once you get there, now it's about okay. Are there any objections we didn't foresee? And it, Always like because every company is a different organism and they have different internal regulations and problems and compliance issues and processes. So you're always going to find something new, but at least you covered 90% of what you would have covered in the meeting before the meeting, and people are well prepared. Make sure Mm. they also check your documentation, which means. Don't create a 200-page report because you're sure they're not going to do it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Put everything
1: down into slides, charts, and mini-videos, like three minutes. Okay. And then people will come to the meeting prepared, and then we can just start negotiating. Or we start planning the POC. We can start setting some metrics. What do you want to achieve? How we can support you? And what we need to do to convince you. It's it's a different, um, you know, it's a different, uh, like, you already covered some ground and you can start like a discussion not from zero because what always happens every time you talk to a new stakeholder you still have to explain everything from adam and eve exactly yeah our solution does this and uh, no don't do that (laughs) got it that's that's a big problem
0: (laughs) makes sense well this this has been a fantastic interview learned a lot from you andy thank you so much um really appreciate (laughs) this uh where can our audience get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you do? I know you do a lot of consulting and you work with uh, advisory with a lot of startups as well. Uh, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, well, the best thing is just feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and just send a direct message. I'm always happy to chit chat, support promotes uh, co-promote everything i'm always open to uh, you know i'm happy to help and if we can work together in different areas partner on different initiatives i uh, happy to do so
0: <laughs> okay awesome thank you so much andy and uh thanks again
1: <laughs> thank you so much for having me cheers take care
0: thank you all for joining us on today's episode don't forget to like subscribe and leave a comment on itunes or spotify If you'd like to learn more about entrepreneurship, make sure to check out our School of Startups videos on YouTube as well. Until then, see you guys on the next episode.